Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Katie. And we're the founders of the Best Life Moms Club and hosts of That Pregnancy Podcast. We are two moms with a bunch of kids under the age of three. Five to be exact. And we know firsthand how hard it is to be a mom. So we're talking about all the topics that no one ever talked to us about. And not only is it hard being a mom, but it can be lonely and isolating, which is another reason why we're here to help moms like you know that you're not alone. Now, it's important to know that we are not doctors or medical professionals in any way. So always talk to your doctor or healthcare provider with any questions or concerns about your health or the health of your baby. We are moms sharing our lived experience and talking about all things pregnancy and life as a mom. So let's have a chat. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of That Pregnancy Podcast. This week, we are talking about questions to ask at your first prenatal appointment. Now, this was a suggestion by one of our listeners, Nicole. So thank you, Nicole. This was absolutely such a great topic to do because once Amanda and I started thinking about it and looking at our past list, we actually had have such a big list that it's turned into a three-part series. Uh, and this is the first part, obviously, and it's questions to ask at your first prenatal appointment. So if, like Nicole, you have a suggestion for an episode, just send us a message on Instagram. You can find us at, if you already don't know, Best Life Moms Club. You can follow Amanda at Amanda underscore BLMC, or you can send me a private message at Katie underscore BLMC. So with that, let's jump into our first part about questions to ask at your first prenatal appointment. Amanda, I am like so excited about this topic. Yeah, it ended up being a lot bigger than we thought it was going to be. So <laughs> I know, but it is such a good topic. Like there's so many things that you don't necessarily think to ask, right? Putting both of our heads together, we ended up coming up with a massive list and that's why we ended up breaking it apart. So Yeah, and I don't know about you, but like when I was pregnant with Freya, I literally would have a list of questions on my phone that I would just go and check off every appointment. Oh yeah. I every every time I went, I would come up with questions. I'd ask Keith if he had any questions. Yes, I did that and too with Peter as well. I would bring them in and I have to admit that when we eventually did see the OB, because in Canada, you don't see your OB right away. You go to your family doctor first and then uh, like 20, 24 weeks, you get switched to your obstetrician. I think it could be even later too sometimes, depending on like your pregnancy and where you are and how busy OBs are. I've heard like later that like 28 weeks, some people get transferred. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I know definitely with the twins, I got transferred early. Well, yeah, because you were twins. <laughs> yeah. I was always so impressed because he'd done it so many times before that he would like answer my questions before I actually said them. So then at the end of the, of the appointment, I'd look at my paper and I'd be like, yeah, and you answered all of them. Or like I'd have like maybe one or two left, but that'd be about it. So. Yeah. No. And every, even with Finn too, I had like, I would have a list. 
maybe the list was not as big, but I still had a list of questions that we would be asking about. Yeah. Every pregnancy is different. So every pregnancy is going to have questions, right? Yeah. Okay. So what is, and I think that's a good distinction. What, sorry, what you talked about, about like the distinction too, because there's probably a different, there is a difference between OBs in Canada and even probably between provinces as well as compared to the US. So you might be seeing an obstetrician at a different time than some other listeners or from our own personal experiences, but this is kind of the early stage first trimester appointments, right? Yes, this will be the the first one. Whoever you see, whether it's your family doctor or your obstetrician, these are the questions you would ask. Right. So number one is what changes should I make to my diet? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So when you're pregnant, there are lots of foods that you should avoid. And there's some foods that you don't think about avoiding that you should avoid. Like, for example, deli meat is something that a lot of people eat on a daily basis, but it should be avoided. Uh, I miss I miss my my deli meat. Oh, do you? Sandwiches are such a go to for me. They're just so much easier to just like, get some protein and they're so convenient. That's why people eat them all the time. But when you're pregnant, it's one of those things that unfortunately you have to avoid. Mm -hmm. I know for me, I am obsessed with brie cheese. So that was like a huge one for me is that I couldn't eat brie cheese. I agree. And if you're like from France listening, because I know we have listeners overseas as well. I know when I was in France, I would always get cheese in a baguette. So stay away from the brie. (laughs) So good. There is a a large list of foods to avoid. So it's important to talk to your doctor about that because, for example, we've talked about mayonnaise before, how like some mayonnaise is pasteurized and homemade stuff is not. So uh, there's lots of stuff to avoid and you should definitely talk to your doctor about it because... Uh, he or she might have some input into your uh, foods to avoid list. Yeah, like like a tinned or canned tuna. You're not supposed to have much of that because the tuna is so high in mercury. That's oh, yeah. I think fish is in general. It depends on the fish. There's Because fish are like they have the healthy fats, which are good, but there's certain types of fish that you're supposed to have, like low mercury fish. And... There's always the question about like farm versus wild caught. It's just tuna, especially tinned, like canned tuna is a occasional food, not, not a full avoid, but not a daily basis food. See, I don't eat fish. So that one wasn't hard for me, but <laughs> yeah, there is a, a shocking list. Like I was surprised at some of the things that you couldn't eat. Yeah. So. For sure. Definitely talk to your doctor about it. Even if you read stuff online about food to avoid, double check with your doctor and see what they say, right? The other thing is caffeine. I know a lot of people drink tea or coffee, especially in the morning. Well, you need to limit your caffeine intake when you're pregnant. So talk to your doctor about how much you are able to drink. So that's an important one. Also, if you take any dietary supplements, double check with your doctor if your supplement is allowed because there are some things that you uh, can take and some things that you can't. And while we're talking about supplements, you might also want to talk to your doctor about prenatal vitamins and other vitamins you should be taking. 
based on uh, what you eat. Like if you're a vegetarian, there might be different supplements you need to add to the, the prenatal vitamin. Mm -hmm. Or if you get your blood work that comes back and says that you're iron is low and you're anemic, then you have to do iron pills. And exactly. I would ask if you're doing the iron pills, definitely ask about anything that you should add into your diet to kind of help you, your body absorb the iron and not make your poop so hard. Just a little tip on that. <laughs> Personal experience. Yeah. Cause <laughs> iron is wreaks havoc, havoc on your, your, bowels and like your poop is just looking to try it. yeah at, you need to add fiber for sure well let's we can check talking about poop off our list because now we've yeah. talked about poop for this episode <laughs> yeah exactly uh so my second thing on the list is weight gain so obviously you're pregnant you are going to gain weight right but what you should be talking about is how much weight you can expect to gain and i think this is important in a few ways. Number one, like some people have eating disorders or disordered eating yep. um, and they need to kind of be prepared for it. And we've talked about your experience with disordered eating in a previous episode. And I think that's really important because it's going to happen. You've got to expect it. So you need to kind of know how much you should be gaining. Following with that, you also need to stay away from certain foods that will help you gain a lot of weight. You hear that women are always like, oh, I'm eating for two, and they think they need to eat a lot. Well, if you actually look into what your calorie intake should be, yes, there is a little bit more you should be eating, but it's actually not as much as you think it might be. So you want to make sure that uh, you're, you're eating properly and staying away from certain foods that might have added sugar um, or natural sugars that help you put on additional weight. So I know I was big with fruit. I like to eat fruit. And um, one of the things I ended up having to stay away from when I was pregnant with the boys was fruit because there's a lot of sugar in fruit. And because you're not working out as much and your body body's not burning, the sugar that you are eating, uh, it helps you put on weight. You just want to make sure you put, you are adding on a healthy weight gain, right? I think the key with that is having a healthy lifestyle and like a, you're eating healthy, you know, like, you know, in movies, we always see like the pregnant woman who, who eat like a bucket of ice cream with a chocolate bar as a spoon or as like a pickle as a spoon. And that's kind of always been like my dream to be one of those, <laughs> those pregnant women. But yeah, like yeah. in reality, like you don't need to be, you, you can indulge yourself here and there, but, and don't by I'm any sure. means like restrict yourself in any way because that's a very dangerous slope. But it, I think the key is to be healthy. And that's the whole goal. You want to be healthy through your pregnancy. You want to have a healthy baby. So being aware of what food choices will help you make it be healthy is important. Well, and if you're hungry, eat. For example, when I was pregnant with the boys in my first trimester, I would be starving when I woke up. And we used to joke that I would have a pre-breakfast breakfast because I was starving. And then I was always hungry. And I didn't know at the time I was pregnant with twins, but 
I, yeah, I was always starving. So like eat when you're hungry because you're hungry for a reason, but you just need to know how much weight you should be gaining and how, how much you should be eating, right. To make sure that you are having a healthy pregnancy. Your pre-breakfast makes me think of the episode of the office. Cause I love the office so much. And if I can bring a reference into it at any point, I will. But when Pam's pregnant for the first time and it's her, del- I think it's delivery part one is the episode. And, and she's, and uh, they're like, we have breakfast, second breakfast, first lunch, second lunch, pre-dinner <laughs> <laughs> together. Yeah. yeah. That pretty well sums up how I was in the first trimester with the boys. Yeah. Okay. What's your, uh, what's your next one on the list? What's your next question? Uh, so number three I have, is it okay to exercise? And the reason why this one's on the list is because of course some exercise is perfectly okay. And if you are really hardcore into training for something specific or lifting heavy weights, you need to clear it with your doctor and make sure that whatever you're doing for exercise is okay for you and your baby. Uh, just be conscious of that. But of course, staying healthy and lot there are lots of things that you can still do, but you just want to make sure you're not overdoing it. And if you have some sort of condition with your pregnancy, you might not be able to exercise at all. So just uh, things to be aware of. And number four, I have, should I still be taking my medication? So this is for people who have some pre-existing condition, could be you're on antidepressants, you could be on maybe blood thinners, anything. So if you're on some sort of medication before you are pregnant, make sure that it's still safe to use while you're pregnant. Right. And I think with that too, that's working with your doctor to create like the healthiest pregnancy for you, right? Because there are some things like antidepressants where you said where if you're on before it is safer to continue under your guidance of your doctor as opposed to stopping, right? It's, yes. You need yep. to talk to your doctor to make sure that you are the healthiest and state. Don't just stop taking anything. You need to talk to your doctor first yes. and make sure that this is uh, all part of a healthy pregnancy. So number five, I have, can I travel? And this is because sometimes you have travel plans and then you get pregnant. (laughs) So (laughs) you need to have the conversation if you're planning on traveling or if you want to travel up until when can you travel? That's a, that's a really good one too, because, and like, maybe you travel with work and you're, you know, you're flying when it's safe, how, how far along is it safe to fly destinations that are safe? One thing that was really prevalent when we were pregnant with uh, Caroline and Finn that maybe is still prevalent but not spoken about so much mainstreamly is like the Zika virus. Zika was when we were pregnant the first time. No way, really? Yeah, because we ended up planning our trip to Las Vegas so that I wasn't in any of the Zika spots. Okay, it still exists. Like Zika is still an issue in in a number of countries. So And that is one specific virus that specifically go, you know, is extremely dangerous for, for pregnancy and even pre-pregnancy. So if you're thinking about trying to conceive, like that's something to consider too. Travel is a very interesting one that I probably wouldn't have thought of because I don't travel much. (laughs) We had, we had travel plans when I was, well, when we were having our first pregnancies, 
and we're going to go someplace warm, which is why we ended up going to Las Vegas instead, because there was no Zika in Vegas, but there was in basically all the Caribbean countries. Yeah. So yeah, definitely talk about travel, especially if you end up with some sort of condition that you might not be able to do as many things with during your pregnancy. Something that's really common now too is like people plan baby moons and like some people go all out for baby moons. While oh yeah. Pregnant. So that's something. I know different. someone who did like an Ireland backpacking trip. No. While they were yes. pregnant? Yep. That sounds terrible. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I would, don't get me wrong. Like an Ireland backpacking trip. Ireland sounds great. Backpacking, not so much. Uh, backpacking while pregnant sounds horrible. <laughs> This was like in like the first trimester, maybe the beginning of the second, like they weren't hugely far along, but I'm thinking, man, like what if you start puking your guts out and you're in Ireland <laughs> or on a plane? Like, yeah, no, yeah. that wouldn't be my choice, but whatever. Each their no. own. But yeah, no, people go on like some pretty crazy baby moons now. Um, so for number six, I have, how often will I see you, my doctor? So it's good to know how far apart your doctor's appointments are just so you can plan ahead, whether it's for work or if you have a, another child, you might want to have uh, the other kid either have someone look after him or her or have them in daycare or school. It's good to kind of plan when your appointments are. And also it's good to know when the frequency of your appointments will pick up as well. Yeah, because they do start to pick up the further you are along. Yeah. Uh, number seven, I have what vac vaccinations should I get? So there are certain vaccinations that are recommended for the mother to get because it will protect the baby if you get it while the baby's in utero. Yes. One that I know off the top of my head is the Tdap, which is for tetanus and diphtheria. I know where we are, they strongly recommend it because they did actually have a case where if the mother had gotten the vaccination, the baby would have been okay. Really? Yeah. This was when I was pregnant with Caroline, I think. They told me that Wow. That they had a case where the mother didn't get it and the baby didn't survive. So. Oh, horrible. Yeah. So that's why they were like strongly, really recommending that I, I get it again, even though I had had it with the boys. Yeah. Because it's when the baby's in utero that it benefits the baby. So because I had the vaccine two years prior, it didn't affect Caroline. So I had to get it again. See, things you find out. I do know that when I went to, I had to go get my stitches for my knee last month. The doctor, he was like, when was the last time you had a tetanus? I was like, uh, I don't know, because I'm really not good at keeping track of like vaccinations and when you have boosters and stuff. And I was like, wait, tetanus, that's the T and Tdap, right? And he was like, yeah, I was like, oh, <laughs> I, well, I've had it, you know, twice in the last three years. He was like, oh, okay, then you're good. You don't need a yeah. tetanus shot. He's yeah. like, and you're pregnant. So you're going to be getting another one anyways. So you're good. Yeah. Did you get yours yet? No, I haven't seen it. Like I've seen one doctor. Oh, yeah, I forget. COVID is throwing everything <laughs> off. So yeah, no. I think Tdap you get later on, I believe, isn't it? Uh, it must be because I was with the OB when I got the Tdap. Yeah, I'll let yeah. you know when I get it. <laughs> yeah. 
So what do you have for number eight? Okay, so for number eight, I have what pregnancy symptoms are considered quote unquote normal and what are considered an emergency. I think, you know, there's because there's certain aches and pains and there's feelings and stretching that is normal but can be concerning. And then there's other events that happen, you know, if there's bleeding that that can be concerning. So I think it's really good to know what symptoms are normal and then what's not even morning sickness you know that's considered a normal pregnancy symptom but excessive morning sickness can become maybe not an emergency but something that needs to be seen and taken care of right so there's a good it's important to know the difference between that as well well the nice part about being where we are in Ontario is there's a nurse's hotline that you can call if you've got questions. And I know I had to use that the one night I ended up puking my guts out. Oh, when you had food poisoning. I thought it was food poisoning because I couldn't, I was pregnant at the time, but I was like just under 12 weeks pregnant. I couldn't figure out why all of a sudden I started puking because I hadn't puked at all. I ended up calling in the middle of the night because I'm like, I can't even keep water down. And they uh, told me I had to go to Emerge. But it's still good to know like at what point do I need to see a doctor and what things don't I need to see a doctor for? Yeah, absolutely. In pregnancy, there's so many things that you're like, uh, I have no idea what's happening with my body. Like, is it normal? Is it not? So I think asking questions is the only way to educate yourself and to kind of help you ease that stress of, oh, what's happening to me? Okay, so my next one, what beauty products should I avoid? Because like there are certain things that are generally considered fine and then things that are not okay so generally speaking like one thing would be hair dye it's generally said that highlights are okay because it's not your full head but if you get a full hair dye not okay while you're pregnant because it goes straight to your to the base of your scalp Um, with highlights it doesn't go straight down to the scalp but there's still a bit of root when you get uh, it colored they color your whole head and they mix it all in and it gets on your scalp Yeah. So that's not considered safe while you're pregnant. There's some beauty products too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. There's definitely beauty products. I know uh, retinol and vitamin A are two that you're supposed to avoid. Funny story about vitamin A. I actually had some just plain vitamin A in my drawer at home and my mom saw it and she threw it in the garbage because she thought I was using it while I was pregnant. I was like, no, I'm not using that. Oh, I really? It. I had it. It was just plain vitamin A cream. And I had it before I was pregnant. And it was still in my drawer because there was still cream. My mom threw it out. <laughs> what do you use vitamin A cream for? Yeah, just like it's, it's like moisturizing and stuff, right? Huh. You can buy straight vitamin A, and which is what I had. And my mom threw it out. See, mama's always looking out for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so number 10 I have is, is it safe to have sex? Because there are, you know, generally speaking, in most cases, yes, it is safe to have sex. Apparently, there's a rumor that your sex, your sex drive increases when you're pregnant. Have not experienced that one. Um, <laughs> for some women, apparently, it yeah, does. For, some, for some other women, women, you're like, please don't touch me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if you fall in the category of wanting to have sex while you're pregnant, is it safe and okay to do? But generally speaking, yes, it is. But it is important to talk to your doctor because there are certain conditions 
that it is not okay. So you are put on strict no sex. I know for one would be like a low placenta. So if your placenta location is right at the base of your cervix and very, very low, it's not safe to have sex. So you're on a no sex diet for the rest of your pregnancy. And it's okay to ask your doctor if it's okay to have sex. Don't be embarrassed. You're there because you had sex. Like it's not a secret anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Your doctor's going to look at your vagina. So you can talk about sex. (laughs) Yeah. And when you go into labor and the nurses are going to check you, they're going to say, just lay back. And when you're like, uh, they're going to say, relax your knees, just let them fall apart. Let your legs spread apart. They'll make a joke about you. That's how you got in this position anyways. <laughs> That's funny. I have had nurses tell me that. Because you try really? like, Yeah. You try because like when you're being checked, they're like, you don't want to like fully open because you're still trying, you know, somebody's still like face first in your vagina. That's not your spouse. And um, you know, it's awkward. So your natural tendency is to kind of like keep your knees tight and legs a little bit closed, but they need you to spread like full spread. And so they're like I've had nurses just say like, just let it go. That's how you got here. Like we're, we're all aware. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Yeah. Number 11 is how many ultrasounds will I have? Now this is one that might be a little different for people depending on their situation, because I know I, with Freya, I had a lot of ultrasounds, but I was also still under the care of the fertility clinic. When was your first ultrasound? So for the twins and Caroline, my first one was both at 12 weeks. Really? Yeah. So they were making sure, well, they were dating it. They guesstimated based on my last period when 12 weeks was, and then they were making sure that it really was 12 weeks and then giving me my due date. Interesting. So maybe because I have irregular periods, I always have an ultrasound before my 12 week ultrasound. Maybe because you don't actually know when you got pregnant based on when your last period was. Yeah, because when I, like with Finn's dating ultrasound, it they were like, oh my God, you're like 15 weeks. I'm like, I'm not 15 weeks. I know I'm not. Like I would be showing and feeling pregnant and I'm not. And they're like, no, no, based on your last, pre- last period, like you're 15 weeks. And I was like, I'm not, but sure, whatever, let's go. And sure enough, I was five weeks pregnant. And then I had to go for another one two weeks later to check if there was still a heartbeat because it was so early with the first one. And then I had a 12-week ultrasound. So like before 12 weeks, I had three. Yeah, no, I've always ever had the 12-week and then I get one 18 to 20 weeks. And so for the boys, the 18 to 20-week one was when I found out their sex. And then Caroline, we actually ended up doing a little bit before 18 weeks. It was like a few days before And they're like, well, we won't be able to tell you what the sex is. And I'm like, well, that's fine because I didn't want to know, but I wanted Keith to be there. And he had to fly out to a job. So that actually connects to like my little sub question for this one is like, what are they checking for at the ultrasound? So 12 week, they're kind of dating you. And then if you have an earlier one, they're checking for a heartbeat to also date you. 18 to 20 weeks is your anatomy scan. And that's considered like the big one where they're like, you're here for like 40 minutes where they measure every part of the baby and like the growth. And then if you're going to find out gender, like that generally happens then. And then for me, I've always had later ultrasounds as well, but that's just because of my specific cases of preterm. So for the boys with the twins, I had more ultrasounds like between 
my 18 to 20 week one after that I still had like a whole bunch of ultrasounds I would say at the end I was going like once a week once every two weeks and that was because they needed to make sure with the twin pregnancy that everybody was okay there wasn't any twin to twin transfusion like that they were they were growing properly so yeah for the twins I definitely had a lot more. And with Caroline, I just had the two because she was considered just like a pretty normal single pregnancy. Yeah. And like with Finn, I was going like, I went 28 weeks, even Frey, I went at 28 weeks too. And then 28 weeks, like 30, 32, maybe 33. Really? Even with Freya? Well, Freya, because they, at one point they were measuring they were worried about her size. He was worried about her size. And so there was that. And then Finn, I had more because of, I started having Braxton Hicks really like consistent contractions. And so we were checking my cervix a lot just to see how, if I had started to dilate and if I had to like started to thin. But then I also know like some other people after their 20 week scan, like their anatomy scan, they don't have anything. Or they have a condition like a low placenta who then have another one at 32 weeks to check it and then might have another one. If your baby's breached, they, you might have one. So like an ultrasound, this is a really good question because ultrasounds are so case specific. There's no yeah. set answer for this. So it's really good to have an open line of communication in regards to having how many ultrasounds you're having with your doctor because your case I, can change. I think if... Caroline was going to be born vaginally I think I might have had to have another one but because I was having a c-section I didn't it's very interesting because you can ask anybody and they're like oh how many did you have like this pregnancy I've had one <laughs> I've had one <laughs> like I had one at nine weeks and four days that's yeah. the only one I've had I am going this week to have my my anatomy scan yay yeah we'll see I'm nervous about it but anyways digress Okay. So, um, after how many ultrasounds I have now, this is something if you number 12, if you, if it's not, everybody does it, but it's worth asking whether or not to even help you make your decision. But if you're going to do it, when do I get my genetic screening done and what are they looking for? Did you do genetic screening? So I did. The reason why I did it was my my cousin and his wife, they have a child who has Down syndrome, and it was not genetic. So for them, they were surprised because she didn't do the uh, genetic screening. They had two older children, so she just didn't do it, even though she would have been in her late 30s when she had uh, the baby. So they were really surprised. So I did it because I was like, if if the baby does have some sort of genetic disorder, whether it be Down syndrome or something else, I wanted to have the extra time to prepare for that baby. So I wasn't caught off guard by having a child that had a genetic disorder. They, they were completely surprised, completely caught off guard. And then they had this newborn baby that, had, that was a little bit different than the other two. Right. So my whole thing is it just gives you time to prepare and figure out how you're going to welcome the baby into your, your life. Yeah. But I do have a friend who had her scheduled and then she didn't go. Her whole thing was, well, it didn't really matter if it had a genetic disorder or not. 
she was still going to have the baby. And my whole thing was, I would still have the baby too. I just wanted to know and be prepared for once the baby was born, having everything in order for it. I'm a prepper. Same with like having the twins. Like I prepped everything. Like I researched everything. I was ready when the twins were born because that's different than having just one child. Right. So I'm a total prepper. No. And I think I like, we have not, we didn't do it for similar reasons. What your friend was is that ultimately it wasn't going to change the outcome of the pregnancy, but it is important to talk to your doctor to find out when is that supposed to happen so that you and your partner can make that decision as to whether or not that's a choice and a test that you want to have a, want to have. And then what are they looking for? And there are questions around that too of like, okay, what is the process of the genetic screening? Cause there's different stages to it. That is important to know. Hold on. Did you do it? Did you not do it for both pregnancies? I haven't done it. I didn't do it for any of them. Oh, really? Yeah. It was an easy blood, uh, easy blood test is what I had done. Yeah, I think it is a blood test. I know yeah. like a lot of people who have done it, Peter and I, we talked about it. One of the things was the added stress of like a false positive and then going through the additional steps of that. So in discussion, we were like, you know what? So it's funny you say a false positive because what they do is they give you a percentage. So it's kind of like you have a one in a thousand chance that your kids would have whatever they're screening for. So we'll use Down syndrome as an example because we were talking about it. So my family doctor was telling me that he had a client where it came back that it was one in 20 that the kids would have Down syndrome. And so they came in and they were kind of shaken about it and going, okay, like, you know, what are we going to do? And he said, wait a minute, that's only a 5% chance that the kid has Down syndrome. Like, and then it turned out the kid was fine. You're right. You have to kind of knowingly go in knowing that this is the way it's, it's done so that they will give you, yeah, you need to, you need to actually talk to your doctor and be prepared with how you're going to get the results. Because if it does say 120, you need to know that really is 5%. Right? And then you're also going to go for further screenings after that, that then yeah. narrow yeah. it down. So yeah. p- for Peter and I, we we're just like, I don't know, ultimately, is it going to change our decision and the outcome of the pregnancy? We, our answer was no. And then we weren't prepared just knowing my level of stress and how I react to stressful things. Probably not a good idea to throw more stress on a situation. So for us, we chose not to. And like the, we had a very big discussion about it, like with Freya, because it was our first pregnancy and like it was our first baby. And, you know, it really had us made us stop and like think reflectively. And then we kind of just carried it on, you know, it was a less in-depth conversation with Finn and it was a less a same idea with this one this pregnancy is it wasn't that big of a discussion it was just like no like has our position changed from when we had Freya no okay then we'll just pass on it but ultimately it's up to every individual person to make that choice and like you're a prepper you wanted to do it and you needed to do that just for your own mental health and so it, you you do what's work what's best for you but ultimately you need to talk to your doctor about when, you, when does it need to be done by because it does have, there's a very tight window that it can be done in and um, what 
are they looking for and what are the steps that it they then follow to and how and how you get the results yeah right okay so 13 is one of the most important questions to ask and it's a very simple question but it is so so important what is my blood type you need to know if you are a positive blood type or a negative blood type because if you are a negative blood type and i think this is something that is not really well known in first time mom circles I don't know about I I didn't know about the negative blood type no. till I found out that my blood type was negative. So what what happens is if you are a negative blood type, you are missing your blood miss, is missing a protein. That's why you're negative. And ultimately there is you need to have a it's a blood product it's considered a transfusion, but you have a, you get a shot called a Rogam shot. Um, at 20, around 28 weeks, and that protects you from your body creating these antibodies. Because what happens is if your body creates these antibodies with blood that mixes from your baby, if they are a positive blood type, you become RH negative, you become RH incompatible. And like both you and I are negative blood types. We are, yes. We actually did a podcast with our friend who has a negative blood type, and she actually had RH incompatibility in her pregnancy and had to go through a whole bunch of medical stuff because of it. Yeah, and like when you are RH incompatible in a pregnancy, like that is a really rare occurrence. So the fact that we have a friend who went through that is pretty crazy because the the rate of that happening is really, really rare. Which is why we did the podcast episode on it yeah. because we knew how rare it was. And she was always looking for someone who experienced the same thing she was going through and couldn't find it. Well, and the thing is too, like being a negative blood type, there's 14% of the female population of women are a negative blood type. So being a negative blood type is considered rare. Although for you and I, we know a lot of friends who are negative blood types. Yeah. But it is considered a rare blood type and it, and it can be AB negative. It can be O negative. Like it, it doesn't matter what your blood letter is. It's if you're negative. And when I was pregnant with Freya, when I, I knew I was negative blood type, but I didn't know that that was played any important role in pregnancy. So when I got a phone call while I was at work, uh, I was on planning time. I remember it to the DT from my OB saying like, you're a negative blood type you need to get a blood transfusion. If you don't get it, there'll be complications and risks to the, to the baby. And I was like, oh my God. And I spiraled and I remember I was crying. And when like, you said blood transfusion. Yeah. When like, you think blood transfusion, you think pretty serious. Like you're, you're sitting there getting all your blood like taken out. And stuff. Yeah. And then I started like, like that. I started Googling, you know, RH incompatibility and like the effects on the baby and like the outcomes. And I was like, oh my God, I spiraled. It was horrible. I was completely blindsided. When in reality, Rogam shot is kind of the universal treatment for it. It's considered a blood transfusion because it's a blood product, but ultimately it's just a needle, a shot that you get at 28 weeks. It carries you through, through your, to the word, to the end of your pregnancy. And then when you have the baby, the blood you get another one if they have a positive blood type. I know that Freya is a positive blood type because I had another shot. Finn is not because we were compat. Like we were okay because he's a negative. So, um, oh, so Freya is positive. Freya is positive. Yeah, and 
Finn is a negative. All of my kids are negative. So probably Keith's negative blood type too, but he doesn't know what he is. I only know because I donated blood. And I remember in high school, like we found out what blood type we were, but the father's blood type plays a role, like gives you the percentage odds to it. But this is a massive, massive question to ask. And it's so easy to find out, like, because you get so much blood work done when you're early stages of pregnancy anyways, just like have them throw in your blood type to find what it is. So that you prepare yourself. You're not blindsided finding out that you're negative halfway through your pregnancy and that you all of a sudden need to get this Rogam shot. The fact that we know our friend Jess, who is negative and also incompatible and had the complications that, you know, doctors can go their entire career and never having seen this happen. That's how rare it is, is pretty pretty interesting. And I highly recommend listening to that episode because it really is a fascinating story. And it turned out good. Yes, thankfully. So what's uh, number 14? Okay, so um, this one is based on my past medical history. Am I at risk for any complications or conditions? Now, like for me, this one is pretty significant, like in any of my pregnancies of like, Obviously, my complications would be preterm labor, so my odds are pretty high. But also, you know, in my past with my disordered eating, could that lead to complications later on? Like when I was trying to get pregnant with before Freya, I was going through the fertility. Like that was suggested that that was one of the issues, and and so it's good to know that if your medical history, or if you have, you know, if you're diabetic, if you're that you need to know what your past health can lead forward in your pregnancy. If you are a cancer survivor, does that play a role? Everything plays a role, right? Yeah. And that is an important, a very important question, especially if you've had a significant past medical history and Mm -hmm. experiences. And what do we have for 15? Okay. So number 15 is our last one. And I kind of feel like it's a little anticlimactic. (laughs) Um, (laughs) kind of is fine being that it's the end of our our list Um, but uh, still an important question to ask what over-the-counter medications are safe you can't just take whatever when you're pregnant so you need to know what's safe and if you read any medical like any label it says pregnant or breastfeeding talk to your doctor pregnant or breastfeeding like whether or not it's safe or not like they always say talk to your doctor so I highly recommend talking to your doctor and finding out this is pretty important too if you're someone who has like suffers from headaches and migraines. Yes, definitely. Right? Because, you know, or be prepared for acid reflux. A lot of people get that. I know I had it. You had it. I, much everyone I know had it. Uh, before we started this episode, recording this episode, definitely went downstairs and got some Tums. <laughs> <laughs> at some times because I was like oh this is heartburn is coming up <laughs> yeah but like Tums Tums our OB had told us that they're safe um, but there are other safe in certain other, quantities yes yeah, safe in certain quantities but there are other medications that might not be safe so just have the conversation with your doctor err on the side of caution yeah. And ultimately there, I think like, you know, this is a pretty significant list of like just starting questions. Like to think that our list, we had to break it up into three different parts because of how big it is. There is no shame in 
having questions to ask your doctor. Like that's what they're there for. Well, exactly. That's why they're there. And if this is your first pregnancy or your fourth pregnancy, you will always have questions and it's better to voice those questions, ask them, than have them going through your head and then going to Dr. Google because nothing Mm -hmm. comes out of, comes out good from Dr. Google. (laughs) That's very true. I don't know. I feel like there's sometimes a pressure to like get into your appointment and get out really quick. You don't want to waste your doctor's time or ask stupid questions, but ultimately there are no stupid questions. You, you said yourself that when you would go see our doctor, he would essentially answer all your questions or most of your questions before you even ask them. So you're not the only one asking this question. So if you think about it, and I tell this to my students all the time, if you're thinking or you have a question, you are not the only one who's asking, thinking about that question either. So just ask it. It will help yeah. you and give you more confidence and security in your, in your journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of That Pregnancy Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for an upcoming show, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. We are at Best Life Moms Club. Until next time.